Welcome to The Best of Us, an education podcast that highlights the concepts, practices, and stories of K-12 professional learning leaders working to enhance the educator experience and bring an excellent education to all students. To get the best of our students, we need the best of our educators. And in each episode, we'll bring you the professional learning leaders who are doing just that to enable your work. The Best of Us is brought to you by KickUp your partner for ensuring that the investments you make to increase educator capacity find their way into the classroom. Hi, I'm Jeremy Rogoff, co-founder and CEO of KickUp and host of the Best of Us podcast. In this episode, I sat down with the president and CEO of Unbound Ed, Lacey Robinson. Lacey has more than 20 years of experience in education as a teacher, principal, and staff development specialist with a focus on literacy, equity, and school leadership. Unbound Ed designs learning for educators that exemplifies equitable instruction so that students experience grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful instruction. Lacey and I discussed a range of topics, including what it's going to take to get teachers to want to stay in the profession, how to think about constraints as opportunities when it comes to professional learning, and how educators can use their time more effectively to drive towards better performance and equity for all students. I find Lacey's perspective both practical and inspiring. Her work cuts through the noise and gets to the intersection between educator mindsets and skill sets. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lacey Robinson, welcome to The Best of Us. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be chatting with you this morning. As an organization that's focused on improving the educator experience, we get to talk with practitioners who are in the field serving teachers every day. And then we get to talk to folks like you who are serving hundreds or thousands of schools across the country and have a really bird's eye view into what's happening with the educator experience right now. So I'm excited to dig in. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yes, I often say our work is our love letter back to the teachers and leaders. I thought we could start the conversation just, you know, a little bit about you and about your story. And then we'll talk a little bit about Unbound Ed and some of the work that you're doing with schools. But maybe if you could just start with how did you arrive to be doing what you're doing with Unbound Ed? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love this question because it really does. It, it helps sort of uh make me realize I'm a lot older than what I think in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the quickest and dirtiest way to say this is I was a kid that struggled in school. I was a kid that um, initially struggled with reading and my mother very advantageously as a single mother, as a woman of color, marched up to a school that we had integrated and just demanded that they hold me back and teach me how to read. And I always say that that's what set me on my path because it was the actual teachers um, and she she made them hold me back. She made them make me repeat first grade, which at the time was like, they couldn't, they were like appalled that a parent would even want to do that, right? But what happened though, in that second time around in first grade was number one, I just was enamored by my first grade teacher, Miss Montgomery, um, who never made me feel like I was odd men out never made me feel like um, being one, one of two students of color in the classroom and one of two students of color in the entire building, I would say, and families in the entire building. She never made me feel singled out. And her and the other first grade teachers who were across the hallway, Mrs. Littleton, I still remember their names, they worked with me after school. And so that's when my original, like when my beginning of the teaching bug sort of hit, 
Simultaneously, I now realized that during that time, my grandmother was learning to read. And so what I was getting at school and in the tutoring, when I would go visit my grandmother, I was sitting with her, helping her sound the words out the way that they were helping me sound out the words. And I just remember feeling like I really like this. I like when I'm learning something new, but I really loved watching her to grow to read. So I think that's when the original teaching bug hit me. Um, and then I say the rest is history. I, I fluctuated whether or not I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to be an actress. My mother was like, I don't know what your insurance or 401k will look like, but uh, <laughs> like, and then I, at one time I really wanted to be a doctor, a pediatrician, but unfortunately a teacher again um, and a guidance counselor kind of golfed at it because I struggled in math. Lo and behold, that shouldn't have held me back from being a doctor, I now know. Um, and then when, once I went to college, I went to an HBCU and I, I registered as an elementary school teacher, I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love with the coursework. Um, at Florida A&M, as a freshman, you had to sign up for volunteer hours and you had to have a certain amount of cumulative volunteer hours in order to qualify for residency. So they made you vo start volunteering in classes your freshman year. And after that, I was hooked. Like I was early childhood, first grade, and I just marveled at how the children's learning just like took off and you could see, you know, what I now know all their synapses in their brains being built. So that's what started me out early childhood. And then from there, I got some very fortunate experiences. I did my professional develop my own residency at the Marva Collins Preparatory School in Cincinnati, Ohio. I then went on to Columbia University's Teachers College for my master's degree. Um, I had an opportunity actually to work at the Readers and Writers Workshop, which the reason why I point that out is I had never heard of professional development for teachers. Can you believe that? Never even knew that there were these professional development shops out there. And that made my educator's world even larger. And then just from there, have always been really blessed at being able to work with really good educators, having great experiences, getting great opportunities. I joined new leaders, became a turnaround principal, um, and from there left new leaders and found my way um, at Unbound Ed um, as a facilitator. <laughs> and, and now I'm CEO and president. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens just like that. Well, yeah. There's there's so much about your story that we could spend, you know, hours going into. But I think the the through line, at least for this conversation, that's so powerful is that early on in your development, you saw the the power of the relationship between a student and a teacher, and that yeah. has what's driven your work throughout your career, and even you know your experience with your grandmother and seeing the power of what it looks like to teach, and then for you to learn from teaching. I was personally a, a math teacher, and I was bad at math growing up, and I became much better at math as a, as a teacher because I got to experience the learning again with my students. And, um, and what I, what I want to kind of bridge into is how does that affect your work at Unbound Ed? Maybe yeah. just talk a little bit about, you know, the Unbound Ed philosophy, the work that you do with schools, and then we can dive a little bit deeper in some, into some of the specific things that you're doing with schools and teachers. Yep. So here at Unbound Ed, we dream of a day where we no longer have what I call the big hairy problem 
in education. And that is the predictability of student achievement by race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. We know pervasively, uh, I say socioeconomic status last because data shows us that brown and black students, regardless of socioeconomic status, will always fare uh, behind their white counterparts. Now, I point that out because it is a significant, I would say, marker in where we need to point our work. Right. I don't point that out because where we are now in this political environment, I point it out because the data does not lie. I've yet to find a state that doesn't have that gap. OK. And so we believe that with working alongside leaders and teachers, that we can begin to support the shifting of the mindset and skill set that it takes in order to dismantle the predictability of student achievement by race. Now, I want to note, there are lots of other isms that affect that, right? But we want to play the role in chipping away at that through the instructional core. And this is what I mean by this. This is so important to point this out. We don't, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk out there that tries to disassociate what education and teaching is. What we thoroughly believe is that if we as educators can get together in a collective community, and take deep dives into teaching and learning. We, we say the justice is in the details of teaching and learning. If we can take deep dives into pedagogy, pedagogical content knowledge, the awareness of an aligned curriculum, the knowledge of the standards and the shifts, and the cultural relevancy that is needed to support the global majority popul population of students that we have, we know we can begin to move that dismantling of that predictor. And so we work alongside educators, shoulder to shoulder, doing just that, finding the justice in the details in understanding how the three stool of rigor shows up in mathematics and why that three stool of rigor is important in building students' mathematical identity. And by the way, in order for a student to have a mathematical identity, they have to have awareness that who they are, their language, their culture, their neighborhood, who they are is allowed to walk into the classroom as their whole selves and their intrapersonal self, as well as their academic identity is honored. And so we, we have an opportunity to go in and work with leaders and teachers in unpacking that to assure that they are first prepared to meet the needs of all students. And the fact that Unbound Ed focuses on the adults, focuses on the teachers and the leaders as the, the biggest lever for mm -hmm. improving educational equity across the country is obviously very intentional. And, mm -hmm. and everything you just said in describing the why and the what of Unbound Ed was also very intentional. You started with focusing on the mindsets mm -hmm. and the skill sets of teachers. Yes. Talk a little bit about the mindsets that need to exist in order for teachers to walk into the classroom and serve all students and yep. all students can know that they can be successful in that classroom. You know, we start with mindset and I, I oftentimes, and I know there are a lot of educators and leaders out there that will be able to relate with, to relate to this. There is nothing that um, I will stand on stage that we put forth that we as educators ourselves haven't dealt with. And so I will tell you that 
one of the evolutions that I'm very well of that I went through as an educator was the shifting of my own mindset. And it, and it, and I, I start with that because I'm a woman of color, right? I attended an HBCU. I had one of the most uh, profound experiences in my residency of the Marva Collins School. And if your listeners aren't aware of who Marva Collins is, she was an educator in the 70s that pulled her children out of the Chicago public school system and started, started essentially her own school in her living room. And what happened was the neighborhood got wind of it and started putting their kids in the school. Well, in her school, she taught what we now know, the science of reading. So everybody that went through Marvel College Preparatory School learned how to read. She taught them what we now see and we have shifted and changed, but back then was the first canon. So the students knew about Shakespeare. The students knew about Plato. Uh, she taught them writing. She taught the mathematics and science, but she believed emphatically in the malleability of their brain development. See, she didn't take into stock that they came from a low socioeconomic status family or that um, they were language acquisitioners. She, she understood that those are aspects of the child that came into the school, but they were not meant as barriers to their education. And so as these charter schools began to pop up around the United States, I had an opportunity to observe that. I went into a classroom where elementary students were reading Animal Farm and it blew my mind. Right. But when you look at the, 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 the text of Animal Farm, it's probably like a fifth, sixth grade level. Right. When you, the actual words. Now, the concepts were complex, but the teacher was able to break the concepts down. Why? She started relaying it to their actual lives, like what was happening in their neighborhood, what they could relate to. And they began to make the associations between the themes and actual real life things. So that blew my mind about students ability that looked like me. Because at that time, I thought the reason why I made it where I made it was because I was a unicorn. See, I was the quiet, uh, sometimes quiet, uh, student of color at the time. Most of the time I was, it was, I was in classrooms where I was the only student of color, you know, always did my work, even when I struggled. And, and what I came to realize is that I was not a unicorn, right? Just like those students in the Marvel Collins School, they had the ability to have access to educators that first believed in their capability. And then second, were armed with the pedagogical wherewithal on how to get them there. So I use that as a marker, because guess what? Even with all of that, when I got my first teaching job, I remember the moment I felt like, how in the world am I gonna teach these kids how to read? Mm -hmm. They were first graders. I was struggling. I, I was not taught the science of reading. I was not taught the five elements that are essential for reading. These were first graders. Many of them were language acquisitioners. And, and, and unfortunately, I was in a school where the professional development didn't teach the elements on how to teach reading, but it gave us the curriculum, do the worksheets, read the story. You know, it, it did not help me grow as a practitioner. And my belief began to dwindle. And that belief dwindling, honestly, did not shoot back up until I had an opportunity to go work in schools with higher economic status. And I saw that those teachers were being supported in their professional development. So the more that the schools believed in the teachers, the more the teachers believed in the students. And so that's sort of what brings us to the moment where we are now. It starts with our teachers and leaders. What do you believe about your teaching staff? You just said so yourself, you weren't a great math student, right? 
-hmm. Somewhere along the line, your beliefs shift about your mathematical ability. And in that shifting of your mathematical ability, you actually shifted your belief about your students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it goes back to the power of, of mindsets and the mindsets of the adults that are that are in the buildings. And, you know, for, for listeners who don't know, there's a great podcast that you're featured on about the, the science of reading called Sold the Story, which I would recommend. Yes. Yes. And uh, that that goes much more deeply into that that entire area. Going back to the professional learning, the connection to that experience that you've had and Unbound Ed, when you think about professional learning that you do at Unbound Ed, what is the North Star? What is what is effective professional learning look like through the lens of Unbound Ed? Well, first, I always start with the form of the word andragogy. Normally, when I say that, people are like, Andrew, who? And I'm like, you mean, you mean pedagogy, right? <laughs> well, there is pedagogy <laughs> and then there's andragogy. And andragogy is rooted in adult learning. See, it, it turns out that there are some similarities between pedagogy and andragogy. So pedagogy tells us that if you want a skill set, if you want a concept solidified in your student's mind, then they actually have to practice that concept. They actually have to practice applying that concept or practice that skill set. And it gets even further rooted when you allow them to practice it in what we call real life experiences, right? Well, it turns out in andragogy that adults learn absolutely the same way, that it's not just about going over the theory and the practice and looking at videos of it in action, but if you give them an opportunity to apply the concept, to apply the skill set, that it becomes rooted in, in, in their learning and it activates their belief, right? And so here at Unbound Ed, we ensure that all of everything that we put forth, whether it's a program, whether it's a product uh, for our educator, I call it the edusphere, for our educator collective community, it's rooted in andragogy. What is it as an adult learner is needed in order for me to further develop my pedagogical concept skills, to further develop my knowledge and of theory and practice and education, and how can I get you to immediately apply it so that when you go back to your building, it doesn't feel like this theory in the air that you're trying to remember to pull down. So if you come to one of our Standards Institute, and I invite all listeners, we'll be in, I have to give the dates by the end, we'll be in Denver in June, and we'll be in Washington, D.C. in July. You can go to unboundedorg to find the dates. But if you come to one of our institutes, we say you sit with us for five days and we make your brain sweat. <laughs> we make your brain sweat because we make you, because what we do in those sessions is we have you join us as a collective community as we unpack the standards, align curriculum the shifts, the pedagogical content knowledge, and the equitable moves that it takes to provide all students with an access to a high quality teaching and learning environment. And so we, we don't just talk about it, but we practice it. And we do it as a collective community. So I believe that's part of our secret sauce. And I would say, having been a former educator teacher, you probably can acknowledge, school attest to this, there's nothing worse than going to a professional development, first of all, being taught that. Mm -hmm. Second of all, walking out and saying like, wow, those are some really good ideas, but I have no idea how to reply that. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? And so our goal is that our folks walk out of our, out of, uh, out of those moments sitting shoulder to shoulder with us, feeling enacted, feeling like they can go back and enact what they learned immediately. I think some of the 
things that some of our um, our clients and our partners across the country struggle with is that application piece, is making sure that there's that shift from mindset and knowledge to practice. And Joellen Killian calls it the Kasab framework, moving from, I know this, I have the attitudes and the, the skills to ultimately I am doing it in the classroom. Can you give an example from your standards institute maybe where you actually are allowing teachers to practice, to, to struggle while they're there so that they leave having much more confidence to bring it into their classroom? Well, I will tell you every single track, whether it's our uh, formidable track, ELA math that goes from K to 12, whether it's our newly science, we have now a science track that we just lifted up, or if it's our unbounded planning process track, every single track, the educators are in those rooms and including our leadership track, actually doing the work. So what does that mean? If we're asking you to have knowledge of the standards, we actually have you pull out the standards that you that you work under, and we actually unpack those standards. We looked at we look at the words, the specific the specific vocabulary words that we as leaders and teachers, and I'm gonna talk about why leaders in a minute need to know and understand in order to enact that aligned curriculum as intended. If it's mathematics, you're actually doing the math problems. You may go into the math track like I'm not a math person and you will come out feeling like everybody's a math person. When you're in the ELA track, you are unpacking the text. You are learning about the five elements that it takes to learn to, that we use in learn, teaching reading. You are actually applying the pedagogy along with the content. So that, that's first and foremost. Um, we as practitioners, as educators, oftentimes what I found is that we don't get the opportunity to go back into the practice, right, of the practice that it takes in order to stand in front of the students and offer up the algebraic thinking uh, lesson. Because we ourselves haven't actually sat to do the problems and figured out like, well, what, what? it take to actually figure this out? What's the concept that we're teaching here? And so we take time out to do that. For leaders, let me say this, um, having been a, a classroom teacher and then a leader, and this is many of my colleagues as well um, in Unbound Ed and now our subsidiary core, because we just integrated. I can talk about that later. Here's the thing that we know for sure. As leaders, one, you need the experience. Not that we expect you to walk out as a math, a Maddox expert, or ELA expert, but you need the experience to understand what kind of conditions, systems, dollars, and human commodities do I need to have in place in order for my teachers and practitioners to be able to have opportunities like this in my system? What, what do I need, what systems do I need to dismantle or change in order to make the professional development experience in my system an opportunity to move from performance orientation, so you're just showing up, you're listening to what needs to be done, to a learning orientation where I'm allowing my practitioners to say, I teach fifth grade math and I never really learned the concepts. I just know how you know to do the procedures. So that you then can take inventory of, you know what? I wanna make sure every time we get together as a fifth grade math group, that we have an opportunity to dive into those concepts, whether it's through the curriculum or the standards. So you as a leader need to understand what has to be in place in order to activate the level of andragogy that's needed in your system. 
and or I say this all the time because I understand that, that to me, the best professional development is going to come from the outside, like folks like us who have researched and evaluated the methodologies. But in order for you to assess who to invite into your system, you still need to have those experiences. So what does it take? And then what do I as a leader need to put in place in order to allow that kind of learning and flourishing to happen in my system? I have a theory. I actually think that if we began to think really deeply and move some of the systems processes that we have in our school systems, that in fact will also affect the matriculation and the sustainability of educators in our profession. Because when you think about it, Jeremy, we are one of the few professions where the expectation of growth of knowledge and skill set really gets settled. It gets settled. You make the assumption. You, you have a plumber that comes to your house that has to get certified. An electrician. You would never invite an electrician into your house who told you that the last course he took was 15 years ago or he took a course quickly online to keep his certification going. You wouldn't go to a dentist's office that did that. And so we have to lift our expectations around what it is that we need to provide our leaders, our practitioners, in order for them to feel good, to wanna stay in the profession. We're in the thinking business, and I ask a lot of leaders, how often are you allowing your educators to think? the practice of thinking and application? It's a powerful question and probably leaves people wondering how, <laughs> how often they are doing that. I, I think that's a good segue to talk about something that you and I discussed when we were kind of preparing for this conversation, mm -hmm. which was some of the assumptions that leaders have about constraints. Because I think if I'm a leader and I hear, I need to change the systems, I need to change the processes, um, I need to allow opportunities for my teachers to think I'm also that also seems to be competing with the urgency of now right there are student test scores that need to improve I have this teacher that's unhappy that's not performing all of the kind of day-to-day -day responsibilities and also the constraints of the schedule there's just only so much time in the day and that's what we hear so often from leaders so what are some of the assumptions of particularly teaching and learning leaders about their roles and what are some you know, potential mindset mindsets that could be shifted? Yep, I think a lot about Stephen Covey's work and thinking about like, well, what's my zone of control here? Like, what is it that I actually have in control? And certainly after being a, a, a district leader and a school leader, I understand about the greatest commodity that we have, which is time, which you are not always the person that gets the luxury of deciding how time is placed and how it's executed. Um, I do believe though heartily in the power of our community. And here's the thing I had to shift about what I had control over. When I was a middle school turnaround principal and we had professional development days, um, I had control over um, the days that the district wasn't pulling us out of our building, how we constructed those days, right? Now, and let's be real, a lot of times those days, educators are like, oh my God, I got a second to breathe here. I actually get to come to work and have a cup of coffee and all those things that we do to uh, excite our educators about coming together, those things should stay in place. And we need to think about reorganizing our time. 
So if you are having a professional development day in your building, rather than having everybody sit in the library together and go over things together, you should be dividing folks up into the various departments, even in elementary school. So in elementary school, you can have it so that there is a rotation of content. Right. So I have my K and first grade teachers together. And in the morning, we're going to sit. We're going to take a deep dive into the math. What exactly are the kindergarten and first grade math standards? What are the standards that the kindergarten students need to leave out of and be ready to have for those for, to be prepared for first grade? And just the simple act of getting those teachers together to look at what is expected at the end of kindergarten what they will be doing in first grade and having conversations around how their current study unit of study lessons are actually building that. And what do we do with the students with the missing prerequisites? So what happens as a first grade teacher when I have a kindergartner who was not given the foundational concept and skill of subitizing? Okay, how am I supposed to then pull them into the mathematical standards of addition if they don't have the foundational concept skills, supertizing, cardinality, one-to-one -one correspondence, all those pieces. Even me just naming those mathematical foundational concepts and skills are new to some of the listeners. So as a building leader, the first thing I'm gonna do is wanna assess where my teacher's knowledge is in, in terms of the content. Now, you don't have to choose all the content, you can look at your data and say, you know what? I want us to really focus on math. And if I'm gonna focus on math in my professional development days, I'm gonna have them break up and do sort of our own math study groups. We're not just gonna look at lesson planning and how we're gonna do the B unit. We're gonna look at the standards, the concepts and the skill sets that are needed across grades and within the grade. And we're gonna ask ourselves if what we're doing currently is going to meet each one of those criteria. And we're gonna create an environment where our educators can say, I didn't even know what a mathematical foundational concept and skill is. That you have control over. So also creating a space where educators can feel safe to acknowledge mm -hmm. that and say, I, I don't have this foundational skill set. It's not not only my students, but I'm missing this too to be able to effectively teach math in this case. Yes. So if you then transfer some of those concepts um, from leaders to teachers mm -hmm. and teachers are the most strapped for time, yes. but also they have the benefit of teams, right? You have your grade level, you have your department. Can you talk a little bit about how educators can use their time more effectively to drive towards better performance, equity for all students? What are some of the principles that they should be thinking about? And I love questions like this because I always start out with, look, teachers are not magical beings, right? There's only so much time in the day. And let's be real, you're a human being. You have your own personal livelihood that you need to attest to. And so I'm never under uh, the illusion that educators are necessarily dwindling their time away or not um, using it effectively. Let's be real. There are moments in education as an educator, I know this for myself, that at the end of the day, I'm so tired, I'm so drained. I can't even imagine going off and working with my folks. But I do also know this, the moments that I had to get together, whether it's through uh, grade level teams or cross level grade level teams. And in those moments, the, the opportunity to be a student, a learner, a thinker is what ignited me. And when you think about it, that's what, that's what really draws you to teaching. That moment I saw my grandmother re read, made the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, 
because I have this innate curiosity to watch a human being develop. And I say that educators, true educators, we all have that innate curiosity. So, so creating moments where you, where your team of teachers have an opportunity to sit down, to learn, to engage, to, to talk, to have that learning orientation to admit out loud, I think is really important. So this is what I say to educators. If you're a team of one, there are some schools, you might only be the only first grade teacher. You need to find then, I would say, your community. It could be with a fifth grade teacher. It could be with a second grade teacher. And you need to have moments where you are becoming each other's thought partners. And in those moments when you're thought partners and you're not quite sure where to think you should go, then you all need to make a pact or say like, well, who could we go and talk and go and ask, right? Um, the one of the loneliest things to do as a teacher is to sit on a Sunday evening making your lesson plans, you know, or thinking about, oh God, tomorrow I got to go in, we got this unit. And so a lot of times what I say to educators is let's think about the way we can shift that lift. One of my last teaching experiences here in Maryland, I was teaching fifth grade and my classroom was on the opposite side of the other fifth grade classrooms, right? And I just remember there would be often times where I was doing a lesson and it felt like I was just floating out there alone. And I had this one fifth grade teacher um, who kind of took me underneath her wing, not in a, I know more than you, but Kay, you want to do this together. And I just remember those moments where I sat with her and was like, I I'm not quite sure what to do. You know, and she's like, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do either, but let's look this up. And we began to sort of mind meld together. I think as a building leader, you need to identify if your teachers have that group. And if they don't, how can you ignite that group? How can you get them interested in creating those groups? You want your math scores to go with your students. You might need to start a math academy with your teachers. Bringing in outside experts, inviting them to go to conferences, bringing the folks to you that will help support spurring some of that up. So I, I don't always say that I have the right magical formula for time. A lot of times we offer up just a different way of thinking about it. And most certainly, I have to say, joining our collective community, um, we are actually, we're actually, we've actually created a platform to help with that community for teachers. It's called the ecosystem that is powered by Unbound Ed. And it is actually a platform where an educator can go on register and the AI in the platform will ask you about joining various different communities so that you have an opportunity that if you're sitting at home by yourself on a Sunday and you have a third grade math standard lesson that you need to teach, that you can go on that platform and find other community members and start a conversation about. That's how deeply we believe in the collective community of educators. And also having some of the context of Unbound Ed and, and some of the language that you all use for what does effective instruction look like, I imagine, kind of creates that cohesion or coherence across that online community. Yes. So Gleam is a huge framework that, it, that you will see um, on our platform. And Gleam is our way of asking ourselves as teachers and leaders how we are preparing in an environment so that all students have access to high quality teaching and learning. And so GLEAM is an acronym. It stands for, is it grade level? Is it engaging? Is it affirming? Is it meaningful instruction? And I will be the first person to tell you that we built that out of the formidable work of Gloria Ladson Billings, as well as we looked at Zaretta Hammond, D Django Paris. We looked at folks that have pushed us to think about how are we engaging all students 
in this educational environment while simultaneously ensuring that they're making academic gains regardless of the prerequisites that they come in with. So is a grade level engaging, affirming, meaningful instruction, and it is affectionately called GLEAN. <laughs> it's memorable, that's for sure. <laughs> so as we kind of wrap up, I think for me, I go to where are you seeing this type of work, kind of the shifting of mindsets, the shifting of how teachers and schools think about time, how they think about teachers kind of reigniting their own spark for learning. Where have you seen this done really well? I mean, oftentimes I'd like to shout out the partners that we've had in education systems. So I mentioned a few minutes ago that um, Unbound Ed has started this exciting adventure of integrating, um, of emanating with the Pivot, uh, Pivot Core Subsidiary Learning Organization. So we are now all coming underneath one umbrella um, and we will become uh, Unbound Ed Pivot Core Learning. And so the reason why we decided to integrate it as organizations is that we started working in counties like Guilford County. Uh, we started working in uh, counties like Stockton. Uh, we, we've done we've done work across the systems where we were able to sit shoulder to shoulder with leaders and educators taking a very eagle-eyed view. So for instance, in Guilford County, over these past couple of years, it's been around mathematics. And we've seen this flourishing relationship we started with them with the professional development cycle, building relationships with them and their teachers that ultimately are having results with their students. And so the partnerships that we've been able to flourish with folks, I would say, and in getting into the justice and the details of teaching and learning is where we've seen the majority of this work moved. I certainly will also tell you, there are tons of test testimonies. Anybody that has been to our Standards Institute will tell you after those five days, they are on fire to go back and enact some of the simple moves, whether it's, I'm gonna open up this curriculum and I'm gonna look at the standards that's matching this unit of study. And I'm going to ask my other teachers to come in and we're going to unpack these standards and figure out the prerequisites that some of our students may be missing and figuring out the appropriate scaffolds that we have to use to lift the cognitive load to give students access to the lesson. And so that kind of movement we notice, we see, we hear the anecdotes from folks from Louisiana to Baltimore City Schools to New York City Schools that we know that gets activated when we have an opportunity to partner with them. Lacey, it has been so enjoyable to talk to you and hear more about your story, about Unbound Ed's story, um, and to focus on the educators, focus on their experience, their perception, because that's obviously the going to have the biggest impact on student learning. Um, where can listeners find out more about you and more about uh, Unbound Ed? Yes. So it's Unbound Ed with a capital E, lowercase d at the end, dot org. Uh, certainly, once you go to our website, there is a plethora of information about who we are, where we're going to be. And then our newly acquired subsidiary core is, is core learning. They can type that in. That comes up. And they also provide um, in-house district level services around uh, learning around mathematics and certainly the science of reading and ELA. Um, so I invite them to go to either one of our websites. Awesome. And can I say my last little plug? I'm of course. Go this. for it. Uh, July we actually have a book that is coming out called The Justice Seekers, Finding the Justice in the Details of Teaching and Learning. And in that book is a little bit of my story, the story of Unbound Ed, and how the how and what of Glean. 
And so we're really excited to offer that up to our Edusphere. Anyone that registers for our July Institute will get an automatic uh, free of that text, but you can also go on and pre-order uh, the book. And we're really, really excited about the book. And um, again, it's a part of our love letters, our love letter back to our, our educator community. Well, I'm fired up and I want to go to the Standards Institute. So you've, you've sold me. <laughs> Lacey, thank you so much for being on The Best of Us. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to The Best of Us. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the KickUp PLC at kickup.co slash PLC, where you'll find all of the episodes of our podcast and other resources to help educators maximize the impact of their professional learning program.